Hey everybody, welcome to Theology on Tap. So glad that you're here tonight. We're going to get started. Thanks for grabbing a seat. Uh, thank you always to Henry's and Clark for being so uh, hospitable and welcoming for us. Great. If this is your first time, we're so glad that you're here. The way the evening works is you'll see these little sheets of paper scattered around the room. Hopefully, what we typically do is we have a topic that we'll talk about excited for tonight's topic and we'll do that for about 20-30 minutes then we'll open it up to questions and you can text in by using this top QR code any question related or not to the topic tonight uh, we're happy to we always get some really fun questions and that's and who are you that's really great well I'm Justin and uh, you're Brian yes so we do this great. thing every other every other Tuesday it seems like and so it's been a lot of fun we're glad people have, have come so uh, Let's see, couple, one announcement, or two announcements that I want to do before we jump in. Uh, you can join our email list if, if you want to be in the know on you know, when we're meeting. We're actually going to take a three-week break between this next one and the next uh, Theology on Tap that we do. But in order to stay up to date on all the stuff with Theology on Tap, you can join our email list here. We don't overwhelm your inbox, don't worry. And you we can, will not ask you for money. That's right, that's right. So you'll see the schedule here as well for when we are going to meet on Theology on Tap. Other thing that, uh, and it's kind of appropriate that tonight we're going to talk about the topic of loneliness, particularly loneliness when you're really busy, when you're involved in a lot of things and around a lot of people and yet you still feel overwhelmingly lonely. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. One of the things that, uh, you know, summertime can be crazy with schedules and in the life of like our church, we're, we're both at St. Philip's. A lot of our kind of programs and regular stuff kind of takes a break for the summer. And so one of the things that we've heard from some of you is that they were going to have summer clubs start just a once a month thing, some way to, to be intentional about having fellowship and community during the summertime. So if you're interested in that, what we're going to do tonight at the end when we're done is you can just come up here and just write your name down. If you're already in one or if you want to join a supper club, this is just a once a month fellowship only. There's no teaching. You're just getting to know other folks and being intentional about being uh, friendly with people. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I'll email that out as well. But if you're here and that sounds interesting, please come up at the end and just write your name down. I'll, I'll make a little sheet up here for you. So Brian, why talk? I, I think we've had a number of theology on taps where we've kind of danced around loneliness. But but why tonight? Why, why talk about focusing on loneliness? Well, there are two reasons. One is that we were inspired by this tissue box, okay? Um, this tissue box is one of the saddest things that I've ever seen. I'm gonna try not to cry. I think it's lovely. This tissue box, now let me just make clear here. <laughs> tissue is made out of paper, okay? It is not alive, it does not have a soul. But on the side, it says, I'm here for you when you're sad. Love tissue. It's thoughtful. It's thoughtful. I'm there when you're sick. Feel better. Tissue. Um, and so on. And the idea is that if you don't have anyone in your life that loves you, tissue is there for you. Now, y'all will probably just now be able to go home now that you've learned that. The tissue is there for you. But to me, this is just such a glaring symbol of what's wrong in our culture right now and the rampant loneliness that's out there and the idea of using that big fancy word that uh, the tissue company would try to anthropomorphize tissue to make it human-like so that you would feel loved by your bathroom tissue. So this came into my life uh, the same week that the Surgeon General of the United States declared a national health emergency in the United States that was not COVID, that was not STDs, that was not any of the other things, vaping. Um, the national health emergency is loneliness. And according to the research that's been done by the scientists and the government, the health effect of the loneliness in our culture is as bad as smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. 
which is pretty bad. So that got Justin and me talking in one of our Monday lunches that we enjoy doing over really good food, uh, often at the Glass Onion over the Brussels sprouts, which are so good. Extraordinary. Um, but we were talking about the fact that one of the things that is peculiar about loneliness among a lot of young adults is it's not so much people that are sitting home alone all the time, although there is some of that, but that there is this rampant loneliness that both of us hear about from people in the church among people that are really busy, that have, they have people that they know, they're involved in social activities, they're involved in their jobs, but they still are very lonely. Yeah. So that's why we wanted to lean into this song. Totally. And going back to the, the tissue box here, like I think most people would recognize this is a joke. It's clearly not trying to be real, but... It's not? I'm just sorry to burst your bubble. <laughs> it's a joke, Brian. No. Um, but the, the people who... May, if you're in advertising or marketing, you know that it, it's making a joke, but it's also tapping into something that's really valid and right. real. Yeah. Some, a a yeah. deep longing in our soul. And that's something, as we, as you said, we see so much. And yeah, there's plenty of people who, who are struggling to just be around other people because they're working nonstop and a lot of people working remotely, that's a big thing. Or, and so they're overworking typically and they don't have any room. But then often we thought about a lot of people, especially that we know, are quickly going from one thing to the next. They've got you know weddings half you know the weekends of the year and they're doing all their social life, their calendars are full, they're busy, mm-hmm. but they still feel incredibly lonely. Maybe you relate to that tonight. So what we hope to do is be able to talk specifically to folks in that situation and what kind of advice maybe we could offer uh, people who are around a ton of people all the time mm-hmm. but still feel really lonely. Yeah, yeah. And I think part of what, what we see is that... Uh, you know, looking from a spiritual lens at things that uh, you can go way back to Genesis and the creation story um, when God says it is not good for man to be alone. And so then he creates Eve. But then when you go through scripture, you see that God is always calling a people to himself. He calls individuals, but he calls people together to be walking together with him. And you see um, with Jesus and his disciples, these deep relationships there, and in the early church, deep relationships where people are not afraid to say, I love you, and where Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. And so this whole idea of being deeply connected with friends is part of the, part of the water, if you will, of Christianity, but in the United States and the Western world, we have gotten this very individualistic view of things, which is profoundly unscriptural and also not really very fulfilling. So we want to talk about how to move back into what I would call a more beautiful story of the way life is supposed to be with connection, because you were not designed to be feeling lonely all the time. If you are feeling lonely all the time, that means something is awry that uh, you should reflect on and think about how to address. Yeah. Before we jump into, you know, what practical things we would offer for how to become more connected, I think it's really important. If you think about what the Bible says about connection and fellowship and friendship and, and loneliness, God made every, this is one of the unique things about Christianity is that when God made everything in the beginning, it was always really good. Like the created world was good. People were good. There was nothing wrong in the world. In fact, there, there's one thing it says that was wrong. And now God could have made the world in such a way that we didn't need anything except him. And I, I think maybe some people in the church were like, yeah, if you feel like you need something other than God, that's bad. Like, but actually, it's incredibly humble on God's part that he would create the world in such a way that he didn't just make us, he did make us chiefly for himself, but he still said, even if we have everything in him, but we're lacking connection, he said the one thing that's not good before evil came into the world was that man was alone. Right. And that's exactly what you're talking about. Now, why... I'm curious, why do you think today, particularly in the United States and in the West, 
why are we feeling so alone when we're around so many people? Uh, I think there are a, a number of reasons for that. I think one of them is that we have, we have lost what I would call the matrix of friendship. And the matrix of friendship to me would be the things that um, are necessary to be friends with people. And I think we're, we, we are in a society where we believe in instant gratification. And so we, we have these, what I would call, misbeliefs. Yeah. So one of the misbeliefs we have is that we should just be able to have deep friendships, and they should just happen. And we don't need to work on them or to make sacrifices for them. They should just happen. Um, and the problem with that is that a lot of friendships grow out of shared experience. And when you get into a really mobile culture and society where people are moving all around and leaving the people that they've been with, you move to a new city and you're 28 and you have a new job, um, you have no shared experience with anyone. And so that means you're going to have to work to build relationship. So I think that some of these misbeliefs like that get us in trouble. And so we're with people and we can be in crowds of people. But the other thing about relationships is that you could be like, if I'm hung out with everybody in this room, if we were like together every night for the next six months, but all we ever did was just be together in a big group, um, that would not be satisfying in terms of overcoming the loneliness. Mm -hmm. When you travel in a pack, that is a different kind of relationship. And it can be fun, but you're not going to practice vulnerability with 45 other people at once. Um, you know, vulnerability usually happens one-on-one -on -one or maybe in a very small group of people. And vulnerability is a key to deep friendship. The other thing that I would say that's so important, and Justin's got some great C.S. Lewis quotes over here um, that are going to come from Justin and not from me tonight. Oh, you can have some. Um, but one of the things that Lewis talks about is that friendship really is about standing side by side with someone where you see the same truth as that person. And you both are deeply committed to that truth and you walk together into that truth. Uh, and the same thing can just be true about interests that you have, where you think, I'm the only person in the world that's really interested in X. So like for Tolkien, that was learning to speak Icelandic. I'm sure most of y'all spend a lot of time wishing that you spoke Icelandic. Um, but Lewis actually showed up at a meeting that Tolkien called people that wanted to learn to speak Icelandic. Uh, and that was a bond. So finding, finding those kinds of things that you share in common with someone else um, helps bring you out of this, this crowd of people down into one-to-one um, -one or one-to-two kind of relationship. So I think that's part of it. What would you say to that? Um, yeah, actually, well, so uh, we're both good friends with our bishop, uh, Bishop mm -hmm. Chip, and he said something just the other day that I'd never thought before. He's been reading this philosopher who specializes in technology. You probably know. Jacques Ellul. No, I don't think no? he's, I know them, but that, okay. no, it's some other version. But he said, basically, you know, look at all the technological advances that we've had. And one of the unique, this is, I forget the name of the technological philosopher or whatever, but he said, what technology does, simply, is it creates, uh, it does a number of things, but one of the things that it inevitably does is create separation. Mm -hmm. So if you think about it, like going to the grocery store, now all of a sudden you have a machine that can check you out. You're, you have distance now between... Uh, you don't have to be some, with somebody face to face, right? Or think about, uh, you know, meal times were not that long ago, before television, right? And people were usually eating meals together all the time, and then all of a sudden the television became something that uh, maybe people sat around, and that was uh, a, a layer or a degree of division. Now people were looking at something else as opposed to talking. But what do people do today? There's not the television. Everybody has their own individual devices. So as technology increases you begin to see an increased separation. Uh, and I think that's, I don't know if you're showing me, you're illustrating this or not. But, um, <laughs> what, do you think this puts a barrier in relationship? It, it's a, I, I can hear you, I can multitask, even though I'm old. Um, it's just, <laughs> I've never seen you do this before. I know I've done this to you probably like 20 times. 
but it was so odd to see that. I'm really taken off that. Um, but how many, I'm not going to ask you to no, raise your hand, but how many of y'all do that? It, it kills do. relationships. Yeah, I do it all the time. But that's, it's normal, like, and it's not it's I not still helpful. love you. Well, that's because you're very gracious. <laughs> um, but the, you know, that's, I think that's just a reality for those of us who've lived with cell phones, smartphones, like, for most of our lives, is you no longer are in an age where it was nearly as easy. Most people just, just life was being around other people and you were used to face-to-face -face interaction. Now, there's such a degree of technology that I think separation is the norm. And you have to actually be really intentional to, to work against that. Um, I, I, I can't, I gotta go back to the quote. You, you were already quoting Lewis when he said friendship is, uh, it can't just be about um, just wanting friends, right? He's always saying you find something else and, and notice that takes risk. I mean, it takes vulnerability to say, I really like, nor was it uh, Icelandic, Icelandic literature? Yes, um, yes. I mean, that, that's a vulnerable thing to state to anyone. Right, because most people be like, <laughs> You weirdo? Geek. Yeah. And, but to actually then, it's another level to say, would you want to join me mm -hmm. and read some of this? And so like, think about the, the layers of vulnerability and risk that I don't think just by the, the age that we're in, we don't have the muscle strength of risk and vulnerability that yeah. just was natural in other ages. Well, and part of the reason that I think that's true before you get to that quotation yeah. that goes right back to what you were saying about technology is that technology is transactional. I'm in charge of what's going on with this phone. I can, I can decide to pay attention to it or if I decide, oh, maybe it's rude to be on my phone, I just put it down and ignore it. Well. Our tendency, because this is what we spend most of our time with, is to begin to treat our relationships that same way. And we get very transactional with our relationships, rather than realizing this is a sentient person who's made in the image of God. Um, what was the quote that you were talking about earlier? Do you have that about using people? Um, did you bring that book? Uh, probably not. <laughs> My bad. All right. So. Going which, back, which quote was it? It was the, um, I can't remember. Oh, no, it was this, this guy. It was this guy. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, talking about using All right, people. this is a great, you can tell this is really old. It looks like Mordor from the 70s on the front. Um, but this is a famous uh, Swiss Christian psychiatrist. And he says that most people are lonely because of their spirit of competition which leads them to use other people as things in the race for personal success. People are isolated by a spirit of independence, by a false belief that each person must be free to live his own life, although such freedom is only negative self-affirmation. And when was that written? Uh, 1972. Yeah. And so you think about all that's happened. I, I think that in many ways is, is spot on, is that we see people as... It's a zero-sum game, They're, and so we'll use them transactionally to get what we want. And I think the increase in technology has only exacerbated that yeah. issue, right? Yeah. So, but going back to what you were talking about, Lewis, so what's, the, what's one of the ways that we can actually begin to um, mitigate the loneliness? How can we create friendships? Well, the first thing that you were talking about is you have to recognize that it's not simply, you have, you have to go against the was misunder, misunderstandings or misideas that mm -hmm. you said, misbeliefs. Misbeliefs. Um, and recognizing that friendship is not just getting together with people. Friendship, in many ways, like it, I think of con concentric circles, like it's good to be in a group of people, right? Mm -hmm. But you, you need to go deeper in. And you can think about it, if you've been in um, you know, groups of just one-on-one -on -one versus one-on, or maybe like in a group of three, the dynamic changes significantly. Uh, maybe you can't put your finger on what changes, but there's a certain level of you know, who's talking and the flow of the conversation that changes a lot. And so uh, it's good to have each of those levels of like maybe one-on-one, one-on-two -on -one, one -on or three or four, um, and, and then like, like a group like mm -hmm. Tolkien and Lewis and the, the Inklings. Uh, but each of those requires a certain level of vulnerability, and each of them requires something other than just the longing for friendship. Yes. And this is where, yes. this is one of my favorite Lewis quotes where he's talking about you have to have something other than the friendship, right? Otherwise, it's not really friendship. And so Lewis says, that is why those pathetic people 
who simply want friends can never make any. The very condition of having friends is that we should want something else besides friends. It's longing after some interest or, or some truth that captures our imagination. And that can be as you know, weird or as simple as uh, Icelandic literature, or it could be some other hobby, mm-hmm. you know, but mm-hmm. it, it starts there. What else would you say, uh, maybe if like, okay, that's how I can find some people perhaps, but how do I actually get rid of this feeling of loneliness? Well, I think one of the things is to think about, well, there's several things you have to think about. One is uh, you have to make the decision that if you really believe that friendship and getting rid of the loneliness in your life is important, then you have to be willing to commit some time to it. One of the things that I think is one of the great lessons from Lewis and Tolkien uh, is to sort of look at them and look at their priorities because both of them were professors at arguably the greatest university in the world in the 1940s. They were both geniuses, both professors at this university by the time they were in their early 30s, which is really astounding. Highly successful, writing books, um, lecturing, working with students, uh, doing all of these things, but yet they put a huge priority on nurturing and building their friendship. So when you look at Lewis and Tolkien, you would see that they met individually at least twice a week for about two to three hours at a time. They had a meeting with their small group of friends, probably six to eight people, uh, twice a week for about two hours a time. And then about every six weeks, they would take either the entire weekend or Saturday and go off somewhere on a walking holiday for about 12 hours. Well, that is a huge sacrifice of time, but they believed that it was worth it. So I think that that aspect is really important. Um, Another aspect that I think is really important is going off that quotation is that you have to think about what are the things that I'm interested in? What are the things that bring me joy? What are the things that I'm gifted in where I want to go deeper and learn more? Um, And invite somebody into that journey with you. That is the way that you build strong friendships. I mean, one of the reasons Justin and I are such good friends is that we are interested in a lot of the same things and even passionate about a lot of the same things. And so we don't run out of things to talk about. It's not awkward um, to be together. But I think for a lot of people, they haven't thought about that. And uh, if all you do, and I'll say this is one of the worst hazards, sorry for those of you who just graduated from law school, Uh, one of the worst things about lawyers is that you will find many lawyers who all they can talk about is their work. And I'm sorry to say, no one else is interested in that. It's sort of pathetic. And <laughs> there are those pathetic people. Oh. And uh, you don't If you're want... here and you've talked about your work, we assume you've talked about other things too, yes. Yes. Um, if your work is the only thing that you have in your life, that is a pretty good sign that your priorities are out of whack. Yeah. Sorry if that sounds judgy. <laughs> uh, one of the things, too, that I think most people don't recognize, but I, I have this working hypothesis that, like, if you're in your 20s, out of college, just the natural time of day that you spend with people sets you up for failure mm-hmm. in friendships. Yep. So, for instance, I think most people are, you know, if you you get up, you go to work, you're done, then you have dinner, maybe meet some friends, maybe you, what are the places that you actually are meeting with people? You know, usually if it's out in a bar or if it's... Um, later in the evening, something like that, the time and the place doesn't set you up for the kind of vulnerability, the kind of like information and, and knowledge, right? I mean, this is one of the things we, we've said is that what we want the most is to be fully known and fully seen and fully accepted and loved. Mm-hmm. And yet we, that's the very thing we fear the most. And yet we go at times and places that totally set us up to not do that well. And so my hypothesis is like if the average 25-year-old just made a commitment to say, all right, I'm going to twice a week get up at 6 a.m. and have breakfast with the same person and, and just whether it's a book or a Bible passage, something, we're just going to 
do that and we're going to ask like high even something as simple as like what's your high and your low or like your rosebud and thorn something like that so what's, what does rosebud and thorn mean what's something okay rose is i mean as a, not, i was a youth minister so this is like common lingo i guess but rose is something and we use this with my kids and they get it but like it's you can do it with 20 30 anybody right if you a, a rose is something that was really good in your life the last since the last time you saw that person a thorn obviously is something thorny it's hurts, something that was sad or hard, um, and a bud is something maybe that you're looking forward to or something that you're growing in, right? And so it gets at, you know, it's if you were to throw that language out, what's something that's exciting you? What's something you're afraid of? What's something that's been sad? Or what's something that you're rejoicing in, right? It's not mm-hmm. rocket science, but just being intentional. If you got, I think, up in the morning and did that, if you took 12 weeks and you had the same people who did that for, you know, even like six weeks, let's say that, who did that versus like the regular pattern of I'll do something from nine to midnight and then wake up in time for work. I guarantee you by the end of those six weeks, you'd have dramatically different feelings of life, happiness, and connection. Yeah. And just to make that more specific, if you, if the way that you spend time with your friends, and again, sorry if this sounds judgy, uh, but if the way that you spend time with your friends is to Uber to Upper King Street and then spend four hours or five hours in different bars, even if it's the same five people that you're doing that with three or four nights a week, um, you are not, that is not going to build friendship. You may get a stable of embarrassing stories that you can share with each other, um, but you are not really going to build friendship. Getting wasted is not the same thing as being vulnerable. And the problem is that it's so easy to fall into that. And it goes to that old proverb about the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. And I know people who've been doing that um, for decades, seriously, for decades. You know, the old guy that you see when you go to the blind tiger and you're back there at midnight and that old guy is still back there and he's there every weekend. And they're still thinking if they keep doing that, they're going to like make friends and it's going to be all good, but it's not true. And the, you know, and the other aspect is some people are doing that, hoping that they're going to meet somebody that they can date and then they'll get married and then they'll never be lonely again. But one of the things that's important to understand is there's loneliness in marriage too. Just because you're married doesn't mean that you're not lonely and that's not because you don't have a good marriage. It's because God did not design things so that one person meets all your relational needs. And that's one of the reasons we have such a high divorce rate is that people get this idea that comes from Hollywood and Taylor Swift um, that you have this, sorry, she's very gifted, um, but this idea that you have this soulmate. is what I heard, false prophet. That's all I you have this soulmate out there that when you get the right person, then all of a sudden, all of your worries, all your psychoses go away and you're just blissfully happy all the time. And I'm sorry if I'm bursting your bubble, but that's not true. And my wife and I have a great marriage, but part of the reason for that is that we have a lot of people that we're friends with on our own outside of marriage. Yeah, you can look for some person in a way that they can never live up to an existential weight that you're putting on right, them, right? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, Ernest Becker in his book, Denial of Death, calls it apocalyptic romance. Mm-hmm. It's looking for, and this is what people approach, whether it's marriage or just, uh, you know, we're, we've been dating for decades and this is my one person. You look, that's the tendency today is we're look, we have these unrealistic expectations of one person to do that. And going back to what we said, like, it's not right. I'm not saying it's wrong to go out past 8 p.m. ever, but if you're looking to that as your primary way of your emotional, relational fulfillment, it's not going to be nearly the same as like healthy habits of the time and place and what exactly you're doing is going to impact that level of connection. So let's finish with this. How would you say somebody said, all right, maybe I believe you, but that's absolutely terrifying to do. How do I have the power, the strength to begin to risk to do that? Well, I think a couple of things. One is to pray. 
that's always a good place to start. Um, I think another thing to do is to think about who are the people in your life that you feel like you have the most in common with who might potentially be people that you could deepen your relationship with. And I'm not saying, like, if you're a guy that you call up one of the people on the list and say, I have something serious I need to talk to you about. And then you go sit in the coffee bar and look deeply into his eyes and say, I want to go deeper. Um, in our friendship. Yeah, yeah. that is not, that's not going to work, okay? Um, but what, what you do, do want to do is to figure out, okay, who are these people? Um, pray over those people and then try to think of some creative ways to begin to spend time together when you're not out on Upper King Street. I'm not saying don't ever go to Upper King Street, but don't make that the whole focus of what you do. And we happen to live somewhere. I'm a big believer that walking with someone is a great way to build friendship. And there are so many incredibly beautiful places to walk, whether it's to go walk on the beach or to go walk through Botany Bay Park on Edisto or to go walk at Middleton Gardens. Um, I, I would find an activity and also maybe think about either a book that you might like to read with someone or if it's somebody who's a Christian, a, a book of scripture that you might want to read and say, would you be interested for like the next six weeks to get together once a week and read this together and talk about what we think about it? That kind of thing. Yeah. I think those are pretty low hanging fruit. Um, the other thing that I would encourage is that uh, one of the best ways to break out of the box with this is to work on some intergenerational friendships. If you know some people who are older than you are, uh, who are people that you might look up to or have some things that you admire about those people, um, to ask whether they might be interested in spending some time together where you can ask them questions, that sort yeah. of thing. Well, that was one of the things I love. This is a, a book by David Kinneman, who um, he's done a lot of research with the Barna Group. I think he's one of the co-founders of it. And he's saying that, like, okay, Christians today, it's not like we're in Jerusalem, which was like a, um, you know, pretty much a homogenous group of people where there was one religion, Judaism, and it's more like we're in the Old Testament Babylon, which is a pluralistic society where there's lots of religions, truth is relative, you have your truth, I have my truth. Um, and he says it's actually like, you know, and it's digitized too. We're in mm -hmm. a digital mm -hmm. Babylon is what he's talking about. And he says one of the things that is most needed in the church today is to, and in this age of isolation, is to forge intergenerational friendships. And that's exactly what, um, I mean, we've taken this to heart. We're starting a mentoring ministry mm -hmm. at St. Philip's. If that's something you're interested in, talk to us. But I think that's, that's really important is oftentimes we cut off, we have such a limited idea of who can be our friend mm -hmm. in this. Mm -hmm. And so don't have too narrow of a, uh, of who might be, you know, this person who could actually uh, mitigate your loneliness. Mm -hmm. I think, like, mm -hmm. I think I've been surprised in my own life at the people. Like, if I had just stopped with like one or two, like, if, oh, this person's well beyond ten years out of my age range. There's no way we could really be friends. How could they possibly know me? Well, it turns out we had some things in common that we liked. Uh, and if I had just stopped after like two or three times of getting together with this person, it it would have never actually flourished into what it is where it's mm -hmm. now for decades in my life where I've had deep friendships with people older, uh, much older, or mm -hmm. even now younger than me. So mm -hmm. um, I would say too that if, if this whole thing of like, it sounds really risky to actually invite somebody, what you said was great, finding, finding something that you're already passionate about, something that you're interested in. It doesn't have to be, it could be surfing, it could be uh, for golf, it could be whatever it is. but. Or walking, it's simple as walking around and just observing. If you're yep. ADD, that's a great thing because there's a million <laughs> things you can, but the, I love that's what Lewis says. It's like looking not at each other, yep. you're together looking at something else. Yep. And that's the key. Um, and if you're nervous to invite somebody into that, uh, let me encourage you, I think, with, with the gospel that what God has done is that He fully sees you as you are. And he's taken that first step towards you. He knows every bit about you, down to the very hairs on your head. 
He sees the thing that nobody else knows about you, and he, uh, he, he has moved towards you in Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And when that takes hold of your heart, when that truth that God knows me and loves me so much that he'd come down for me and die on the cross, um, and he longs for me to have a, a deep community of friendships, that truth of the gospel can in, in empower you to go out and at least take that courage to ask yes. somebody into, uh, into your friendship. And, see, yep. and, it, and it's okay if it doesn't work out, but, but give it, it'll empower you to give it some time, mm-hmm. I think. So. Any concluding thoughts before we go? We've only got 15 minutes. Um, I would just say one of the, probably the most important thing that you can have in common with someone else is faith in Jesus Christ. And that that bond that you have with another Christian, if you live into it, if you take the risk when you get together with people that you know who are also believers to actually pray for each other. And, you know, it's very easy. It's sort of like the rosebud thorn thing. What's one thing that you're thankful for? What's one thing that you feel like God is teaching you? What's one thing I can pray for you about? That will instantly take your relationship into a deeper place than it was before. And uh, I think it's important as believers that we have friends who are deep in the faith and that we have friends that are outside the faith. Um, We need both of those. I forgot one last quick thing that I would say, and this is not just for relational growth, but in life, if, you know, your job, make it your passion to learn the art of asking good questions. I think if there's one thing if, in my 20s that I yes, focused on absolutely. more is I'm going to be a student of learning. I'm going to find people who ask good questions, and I'm just going to figure out how they do that. And, and I want to be like that. It's one of the reasons why we're friends is you're great at this. It comes natural. Maybe it doesn't. It seems to be natural <laughs> to you. But I struggle with that, and I think it's really important in any sort of relationship, always default to asking questions about other people. People like to talk about themselves, um, and so asking about them is always a good default, mm-hmm. and asking mm-hmm. good questions is good. How are we, who's, who's moderating tonight? Brother Colton. Colton, how are we doing? Is it working? We have a lot of questions. That's good. And good questions, too. So... If everyone could take 30 seconds to look at the questions and like the ones that you would like to ask, we would get started. It's not in jeopardy. All right, it's fine. <laughs> no. It's not, it's not Janice Joplin either. playlist was so good this week that we almost thought about canceling the topic and just doing karaoke. (laughs) What song would you do? Well, Justin was going to do Simple Minds. Uh, What's the name of the song? (laughs) I'm terrible. Don't you forget about me. He's really good on the don't don't, don't part. And I was going to do the all by myself in falsetto. Oh, <laughs> yes, like that. We thought about dressing so up. So you're really fortunate that we did not do that. And Justin was going to dress up like the tissue box. I had this whole thing. I was like, for the loneliness talk, Brian was yes. going to be by himself. And I was going to come in dressed as the tissue box. And so be my year. comforter. But then like, we worried if people had come for the first time, they'd be like, what in the world <laughs> is this? So. You have no idea how much fun we have thinking about what we're going to do at the LG on tap. All right, that's been 30 seconds. How are we doing? Yes, I think we can go ahead and get started. First question. As I've gotten older, I've found it harder to stay close to friends, especially as they get married. Any suggestions? Uh, That is a great question. I think that is a real issue. And I think one of the things that you have to be willing to do is to sometimes let go of people, not always, but 
sometimes people are just not willing to stay connected once they get married. Uh, and that's often because they have a faulty view of things, that their uh, marriage needs to be the core of everything. But the flip side of that is that if you are consistent in paying attention to the relationship and consistent in um, letting the person know that you're interested in their life and consistent in trying to plan time together, um, you can build a relationship that endures. Some of you know I just got back from Palm Beach and I was with uh, my friend Foley uh, who I met 43 years ago before y'all were born. Um, and he and his wife and my wife and I have been fast friends for 40 years. We are godparents to each other's children. Um, we don't live in the same city, but we are still ultra, ultra close. So I think just being persistent uh, is important and can really help with that. Yeah, there's a couple of dynamics to this question. So for one, I found after college, all of my closest friends, I mean, they were all in my wedding, which was like a year or two after college. Uh, they all moved to different parts of the United States. And it's just, even with technology, it's still really hard to maintain the same kind of relationship. I think it's impossible to maintain the same kind of relationship. It's difficult to maintain any relationship when you're, one's in Boston, one's in California, one's in Texas, and I'm in Charleston. You know, it's just challenging. And, and I think acknowledging geography, and it's okay, there's seasons of life. It doesn't look the same. Uh, I would say it's really important too, the marriage component of that, it's, that, that's one of those things that it's certainly lamentable if, if you just completely, maybe sometimes you have to let go of it if people are unwilling, but I would say some of the, my closest friendships that I've had since high school, they've had to adapt and change. Both of us are married now, um, but we're, we're still good friends. We talk to each other far less so much less because we're married with two young kids, or we, I have three young kids, he has two young kids. Um, and so we just don't see each other or have the bandwidth to talk to each other nearly as much as we did. But we don't assume the worst about the other, we always assume the best, and w we try to be intentional about reaching out, taking the initiative, that's always kind of our posture. And the, and the good thing is because we have that history, we're able to pick up where things have always been in some ways, even though we, we talk just a fraction of what we once did because of the season of life that we're in. But I think it's really important as you and we talk, we could go on about this, but uh, just because you get married, don't ex please don't expect that to fill your entire bucket for relationships. It's, that's setting your marriage up for failure and it's gonna cut off a lot of friends that you shouldn't, in theory, do. I think you have to be prepared for a shift in some ways, but prioritize these friendships and, and you need to talk about that for each other in marriage. Yeah, and the, the other thing I would say on that question is uh, if it's a relationship that both of you really value, then one of the things to talk about is putting some stakes in the ground to preserve the friendship. Yeah. And one of the things we did with our friends that we were with this week um, was for about 20 years our stake in the ground was that we were going to block New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, and then the next day. And no matter where we were, because we all were moving all around, we were gonna meet somewhere and spend those days together every year. Um, and that, we did that, and it made a huge yeah. difference. And you can do that individually just by choosing a day or two um, every couple of months or something like that to be able to be together. Yeah, I had a good friend, who the, the friend who was in Boston, was like, listen, if we can just see each other once a year, it doesn't have to be long. That that makes, you know, you go five years without seeing somebody, and that's that's a lot. But if you can at least see each other and then stay in touch a little bit, that helps. But yeah. seeing each other once a year is was a good goal. What's the, where we got next? Um, before we move on to the next question, I would just like to acknowledge that a prayer has been answered, which is that the Henry's H back system has been repaired. Hey! <laughs> it no longer blasts you across the room yeah. or makes that rattling noise. Yes. I don't know if anybody noticed that. Yes, we were talking about that, that it used to be kind of like that boom that yes. a lot of us heard around uh, 8.40 this morning. What was that? We still don't know. It's Nobody knows. Um, yeah. Aliens. The Chinese. Close. <laughs> All right, moving on. 
Do you have any advice for keeping opposite sex friendships going? Every male I know either starts dating, dating and cuts off all other women or only hangs out with other men. That is a difficult question. Um, but I think it's a really good question. And I think that part of it, uh, you know, one of the things that makes a difference is whether you're married or not. Um, in that, because I think that if you are married, uh, let's just say, uh, for example, if I wanted to develop a friendship with a woman, um, I would want to make sure that my wife was comfortable with that friendship. And I have several really dear friends who are women, um, some of whom are married and some of whom are single, and that works just great. Uh, but I think that you have to be really clear up front about what the expectations of those relationships are. And um, I also think that in any friendship, uh, to use the old phrase, it takes two to tango. Um, both people have to be on the same page. Both people want to have to need to want to develop that relationship. If you have only one person that wants to do that, you can't sort of make it happen even if you feel like it's not reasonable that the other person is not willing to work on that. Yeah. What, what would you say? Yeah, that's, that? those are a lot of really good points you made. Um, I think where I start with, uh, the marriage point is if you're not married, that, that's also, it, it's definitely different because you have another person, the most important person is your spouse. How do they, there has to be a whole lot of trust that's there. There has, you said too, the expectations from both the, the per, you yourself and the uh, person of the opposite sex that you're meeting with, that having clarity that this is not open to romance, even like in, in being clear about that, um, I think recognizing if you're a Christian, the Bible says that outside of marriage, you're to treat older women as fathers, younger men, or older men as fathers, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters. Yeah. And so my general rule is don't do anything that you would be uncomfortable doing with your sister if you're a guy uh, with somebody of the opposite sex that you're a friend with, mm -hmm. and vice, you know, vice versa. Right. Yeah. And that's a really good thing. I, and, and yet, I would also, I mean, the Billy Graham rule was he would never meet one-on-one -on -one when he was married with somebody of the opposite sex, and um, I think at all, even in a public place. Mm -hmm. Now, in a public place, I think I'm, I'm more comfortable with that, but w the, the wisdom that's there is that our hearts are deceitful, and even though both people can say, this is purely a friendship, we're totally brother and sister, it's, well, you know, if both of you have had a bad day and your, your hearts are um, inherently, like, prone to wander, you can very easily end up making a mistake that both of you may regret. Yeah. And, and so I think it's general wisdom to um, even treating one another as siblings to, to do that in a public place, yes, to have absolutely. multiple people there, yeah. even with the expectation, this is not romance. Yeah. But it's important too. I think that's mm -hmm. important. It's the other extreme of just avoiding altogether is I think also not, not unhealthy. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there's there's a balance there. What role do you think pornography plays in loneliness in young men? Oh, that's such a good question. I think that is a huge issue because I think that pornography is very much a substitute for relationship. And I think that the, the sexual aspect of pornography is only one part of it. I think that it is, it comes from a desire to be in relationship, to be loved. And I think that the more invested in pornography that people get, the lonelier they become. And most people um, experience guilt about pornography and um, even if they still are using it on a regular basis. And it is just something that is profoundly unhelpful. And it creates all sorts of problems um, moving forward into marriage and in your relationships. So I think it is, if that's something that you struggle with, and almost all young men do struggle with that, that is something that is really important to talk about with somebody that you trust because um, when it's secret, that's when it has power over you. Yeah, the, uh, 
to answer the question, yeah, it's absolutely a significant thing. I just read a study just this past week, secular study, that said, you know, even with the commercialization of sex and like the um, just how prevalent pornography is, secular studies showed that people across faiths still feel guilty, like even if they're completely a-religious, right? Mm -hmm. Like they, even though they think there's no moral issue with viewing pornography, they still feel guilt and shame viewing. I think it's really significant because what that means is when you feel shame, this is what we see in the very beginning of the Bible, when mm -hmm. you are ashamed, you isolate and you hide. Yep. And whether that's physical isolation or just emotional isolation, you're, you're just going to cover up. You're not going to let people in. And that's, as you said, that's where the power is. So it's just exacerbating this issue of making it harder and harder to disclose your true heart. And I think that's one of the biggest things in, in true connection is that you can be fully seen. And so th that's where the, there's just this deep um, danger and um, it, it, is a, it is a satanic, it's terrible. It's a terrible thing what pornography does and, and the isolation because it's so, people are like, well, what, it's, but what you do in your own bedroom doesn't matter. Well, it actually, there's so many more implications to it and it affects so many people through the webs of relationships yeah. when you view it that way. So yeah. it's, a, it's probably one of the biggest things, I would say. And one of the things that's so difficult about it is if you do not put boundaries around that, um, it's coming after you. I mean, it's amazing to me how pornography gets pushed out on your phone and on the computer and everywhere. I mean, since I'm so old, like when I was 12, if you wanted to get pornography, which 12 is the age back then that people would get interested in pornography, you had to go to the 7-Eleven and it was in a rack back behind where the cashier was with brown paper over this. Yeah, I'll tell you later about that. Um, but you then had to ask the lady that was working there to get the porn magazine for you, and then you had to buy it. That is what is called disincentive. That's the, the whole, the reason you, everyone knew it. There was a stigma because that was what right. it was. Right. Now there's no stigma because it's everywhere. Right. It's thrust upon you. Yep. And I think that's, yeah. So, yep. There's a great uh, documentary called The Heart of the Man that you can watch on Amazon that really gets to the core of this for both men and women. So we did a big group watch and it was really moving. There was grown men in tears after watching it. Yeah. Is it? What is it called again? It's called The Heart of Man. Okay. It's on Amazon. Thanks, Gordon. <clears throat> um, uh, one more. I know we're just past, but let's do one more. Can you speak to God placing friends in your life for a season and knowing when to end relationships? Hmm. Um, yes. So I think God does sometimes place friends in your life just for a season. I think other friends he places in your life for the duration of your life um, and being able to discern where you are with that uh, is important. But I do think that if it's clear that someone has been a really close friend, but that that season is ending for some reason, because I think there can be good reasons for that. I've had friends that were going to go do, for example, mission work in a country where it's impossible to have contact with the outside world, um, to not just leave and not say goodbye or you know any of those kinds of things, but to um, spend some time um, appreciating one another and praying and all of that and and leaving on good terms with one another. I think that's important to have closure rather than to just leave things sort of hanging out there, which is, I think, what often happens. Yeah, yeah I agree. I, uh, I missed the question totally. Um, but I, I, can you speak to God about friendship? Is that what it was? Well, no. What, what, well, I'll let Colton read it can again. Can you say it again? Um, does, friend, does God place friends in your uh, life for a season, and when do you yeah. end a relationship? Okay. Yeah, I think uh, not quickly. Uh, I think that's the first thing I would say is you don't end a relationship quickly. Uh, it would be a prolonged season of continuing to 
to reach out, but recognizing it doesn't, just because a season of a friendship may change doesn't mean that friendship's over. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important to recognize that there's going to be different seasons of life that it's going to change. Very rarely and lamentably would you ever cease being friends with somebody. That would have to be something malicious that is a continual pattern that's not being addressed and it's so imbalanced in its like direction and power that that you would probably be wise at that point to to pull back but but it would be regrettably and slowly and, and clearly as you said with with good boundaries so yeah would you okay yeah do, do, do one more why not we, we, we everybody a little late it's okay yeah we'll do one more it sounds like you got a good one um, as a single man who's leaning towards a life of singleness, I struggle with maintaining friendships as all my friends get married. Any advice? That is a great question. I think that is a very real yeah. thing because it, it, it very easily makes you feel like you're being abandoned uh, and can also make you feel like you've got to get married. And it can also make you feel like there's something wrong with you because all of your friends are getting married and you're not. And so I think sort of the first step, again, is to deal with those misbeliefs because none of those things that I just said are true, generally. Um, and I think it's also important to take the risk with your friends who are getting married, particularly people that you're close to, to say, I'm so excited for you and your fiancé or your wife or whatever. Um, our friendship is really important to me what do you think that it looks like to maintain this friendship going forward as you enter into the season of being married? Um, I think what happens a lot of times is we just make the assumption that we're not going to be friends anymore and we don't ever have that conversation. And that can be an awkward conversation to have, but it's an important one. Um, so I think that that is important. Um, the other thing to realize is that uh, there is nothing wrong with being single. Um, our culture makes you feel like there is something wrong with being single. Uh, but as we pointed out before, um, Christianity believes that Jesus lived the most perfect, joyous, fulfilled life of any person ever, and he was single. So I think being single leads you into the possibility of having friendships in a way that's harder um, when you're married. So I, th I think disabusing yourself of those misbeliefs is really important, having those conversations, and then also not um, feeling like that there's a stigma with being single. Yeah, I think one of the things about our culture is that we don't have any plausible vision of life uh, where we don't have sex. I think what Though our world, the biggest problem is that unless you enact your sexual desires, then you're not going to be fulfilled. Then you're less than. You're yeah. not going to be fulfilled. And, and Which that's, is a lie. That's just a lie. It's not yeah. true. Because Jesus, Paul, this is exactly what we see in the scriptures too. I mean, Jesus himself, God come in the flesh, as you said, lived a single celibate life full of abundant joy in life. Um, I think the way I would approach this question uh, and it kind of goes the other way. You know, if you're here tonight and you you don't struggle with loneliness, this still really pertains to you because it's an epidemic, according to the Surgeon General. It's a, it's a huge problem in the world. And to actually recognize there are people out there that you need to move towards and to begin to draw out of themselves, that's what the church is meant to be. And so I, I've I just did a marriage class this past year. We read Justin Whitmill Early's book, and I love part of his book uh, called Habits of the Household was said, all right, so for families, mm -hmm. marriages who have, you know, in being intentional, one of the habits that he wanted to uh, encourage was that you had a regular time of somebody who has no other family. And that's one of the beautiful things. The church is, so Jesus said, nobody who's left father, mother, brothers, or sisters uh, for my sake in the kingdoms won't, um, will, will, basically he's going to provide a hundredfold mothers, brothers, sisters, fathers in the kingdom of heaven. The, the church is a spiritual family. And I think that's so important. If you're married, if you have kids, being intentional to invite people into that who don't necessarily have kids, yep. who aren't married, and recognizing that's, 
that's what it's going to take, I think, to begin to change this epidemic that we're in. So it's a really good, honest question. Yeah, great questions. Well, thanks for coming tonight. We will stick around. If you all have something that didn't get answered, feel free to ask it to us. We'll stick around for a while. So glad that you came out. We'll be back three weeks. Yep. Three weeks. From now. I won't be here, but I'll miss you. You're going to be in a but great one. But I will. One. All right. All right. With Thank my Kleenex box. Thanks yeah. for coming. <laughs>